When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you tried out Book Riot Insiders? If not, your time is now. It's our resource specifically designated for our fellow book nerds, and you can try it for free for two weeks. There are different levels available, so you can decide which perks you want, from a monthly behind-the-scenes newsletter to exclusive podcasts and giveaways. And speaking of perks, we've got our resident velocireader, Liberty Hardy, curating our new release index, so you can see the most exciting new books coming out in the next few months. Check it out and sign up for your 14-day free trial, as in zero dollars, at insiders.bookriot.com. That's insiders.bookriot.com. Hello, and welcome back to When in Romance my favorite place and Trisha's favorite place to talk about romance and hopefully one of your favorite places to listen to it. I am Jess. And I am Trisha. And we are recording on August 22nd. Jess, we're in the same time zone. We're in the same time zone. Finally, episode 41. Well, we've been in the same time zone before, but... But it's usually like, we're usually like in person in the same time zone. That's true. It's nice to like actually not feel like I'm keeping you up or away from fun things. <laughs> and it's actually nice to look out the window and see that the sun is still up. Although, no lie, I closed, I'm in a hotel room on the Oregon coast and I closed most of the curtains because my room is right near the check in desk. So a bunch <laughs> of like, people were like creepily walking by and looking in at me. So, oh, first no. of all, don't look in. Second of all, maybe I should close the curtains. But there's windows on both sides of the room. So the other ones are still open. Hopefully, oh, no that's one. Nice. If I have to duck out for minutes because some weirdo is creepily looking in that window, we'll see what happens. <laughs> We'll see what happens. You never know what's going to happen on When in Romance. <laughs> it's the truth. I was asking you before we started recording if we had any follow-up, and you uh, pointed out we didn't have a lot, but we did get a lovely message over Twitter. We did. Michelle, uh, who is a fan of the smart podcast trashy books show with Sarah Wendell um, mentioned that she heard us on that show and had started listening to ours. And um, it was a delightful tweet that made my week. Uh, and actually, I have to tell you, I was listening back to that episode with Sarah um, as I was, I don't know, like packing somewhere or something. And it's actually really fun. I, I really like the way that that went. And um, I'm glad that we got a chance to do that. It was really fun to, to get to sort of cross podcast. Uh, like, remember when they used to do that on TV where they would have, maybe they still do, like a crossover episode or something? Oh, yeah, they still do it. Uh, my favorite ones are the CW superhero ones. They're nice. so meta. Yes. It's delightful. That's lovely. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, so we're basically the CW superheroes of the podcast world, you, me, and Sarah Wendell. Yes, we are. <laughs> Um, so you guys are listening in the right place. <laughs> All right. Um, before we complete, God, we're not even five minutes in. We're already off the rails. Oh, oh man. 
It's going gonna, it's gonna to be solid, everybody. Get excited. Um, before we get completely off the rails, do, would you like to do our first ad spot? I would. And I'm kind of excited because I never get to do this particular ad spot. Uh, so our thanks. Oh, you're so right, actually. <laughs> I'm going to sit here in quiet judgment. <laughs> I don't know. I won't be able to do it like you. Um, our thanks go to Libro FM for sponsoring this episode. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. Uh, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports the community. All you need is a smartphone and the free Lebo FM app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best, local booksellers. Listeners of When in Romance can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code BR3. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. Okay, I have two thoughts on this. First of all, I don't know how you did all of that the first time with no problems when anyone who listened <laughs> to our pre-roll for the last three months knows that it took me probably six tries before I got there. Second of all, since this ad is always a pre-roll spot, I never get to uh, mention my feelings about Libro FM and audiobooks, which are very positive. I am on the road a lot lately. I have put, as of today, 11,000 miles on my car since April 1st. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Luckily, I didn't drive ever in DC for like 12 years. So I don't feel as guilty. about it. <laughs> but I was listening. So I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks. And if any of you are anything like me, you so I actually don't listen to romance on audio. I'm much more of a nonfiction audiobook person. Um, and so I would just like to say that in case any of you are thinking, oh, I don't listen to romance on audio, you could still get the Libro FM subscription because I've been like I was listening the last few days to a book called The Big Burn by Timothy Egan, which is about this huge forest fire that happened. This is weird. Almost exactly uh, 109 years ago, because it was August 19th, 20th and 21st. Uh, oh, 1910. wow. I know. I was listening to it accidentally on the anniversary. And then I was driving through a restoration area from the car fire right after I finished it. Um, so like, it was kind of an eerie coincidence. Anyway, all of that to say. Uh, and then today I started um, listening to Samantha Irby's We Are Never Meeting in Real Life, uh, which is hilarious and wonderful, but also made me cry today while driving up the Pacific Coast Highway. So <laughs> anyway, whether you listen to romance on audio or not, get yourself a Libro FM subscription because it is worth, you know, exploring whatever avenue of audiobook you like. Absolutely. And I have to say, I do it so well because I've been listening to you do it. <laughs> You've been listening to my mistakes and thinking, if I, Nick, when I get when I get the chance to do the Libro FM ad spot, I will not mess that up. <laughs> <laughs> I will do it right. <laughs> You've just set such a great example, Trisha. Aw, thank you. You're too kind. <laughs> you know, and we, we can, well, yeah, we'll jump back into it. But if anybody wants uh, any, any more nonfiction audiobook recs, you let me know. I feel like today's episode, Jess, is a very, like... You know, sometimes we'll say, oh, we have all these, you know, kind of bummer news stories or, oh, hey, all these great things. I feel like 
today's episode is kind of a, like your mileage may vary, like more than one thing can be true. I don't know, maybe we'll have a little bit more of a thoughtful episode than we, you know, we're not, not more. We're always very thoughtful. We're always very thoughtful. Yeah, it's like a little less cut and dry in some ways. Yeah, we'll have some things to ponder, I think, even when the episode's over. I think that's right. Yeah, boy, full service here I went in romance. Um, so one of the first things that we wanted to talk about a little bit, as we sometimes do, is talk, there's a couple of um, kind of small to medium-sized stories about romance sales. And one of them is uh, a story that came out in Publishers Weekly about uh, the growth in the romance category. So Barnes & Noble has seen a 31% jump in romance books sold compared to the same time period last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's according to the latest data that they have from stores around the country. 46 of 50 states are showing an increase in romance book purchases from a year ago. Um, and Jess, I think you may have seen the full press release on this. Was there anything that kind of stood out to you about that story? Um, the 46 out of 50 states thing was definitely um, very interesting. And there was like a sort of a broad range of the actual increase across the states. Um, the the press release that I got got a really interesting, um, had a really interesting sort of map with like almost heat map with like really dark red as like the states that saw really big increases and vague pinks for those that saw less large, but still increases. Um, Another one of the things that I noticed, they had the top 10 romance books of this past summer. And uh, while the wedding party by Jasmine Guillory was on it, a lot of it is, is things that, I always know exists and I always see them in Barnes and Noble, but I have not picked up myself. Like, um, all four of Anna Todd's books. Like, I, <laughs> I, I will admit I haven't picked up after and I didn't read it on Wattpad when it was out, um, in that form, uh, in part because it, yeah, I wasn't particularly interested in that kind of, angst-ridden story when it came out, and then I just sort of forgot about it for a while. Um, and then, you know, like, I expected The Mister to be up there because it's an E.L. James book. Like, of course, of course it's big. Although only number five, interestingly enough. Yeah, only number five. And the top two were actually Debbie McCommer and Nora Roberts, which I know are big sellers, but I just sort of forget about them. Like, I know that, I mean, Nora Roberts is the queen of the world. So of course, I didn't forget about her as a romance writer. But Debbie McCommer is one of those who goes under the radar and everybody reads her. Yeah. So nobody's talking about her. Yeah. Well, and it's in- interesting, right? Because there's her, there's um, like Robin Carr, who I actually mm-hmm. will be mentioning again later in the episode. Um, but there are some of these writers who have been writing for a very long time and have a very dedicated fan base, but who aren't the kinds of romance writers that we often talk about. And I think there might be an element there of, I like, I would be interested in seeing the Venn diagram on this, right? What is the Venn diagram of the people who are reading Window on the Bay by Debbie McComber um, and also The Wedding Party by Jasmine Guillory? Like, I wonder if the romance audience is shifting and changing a little bit. And I wonder if in 10 years, Debbie McComber is still a number one 
for the season romance author. Maybe she is. Like, you know, I I have read a couple of her books and they're not really for me. But yeah, I, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that shifts because some of the other top sellers that are, are mentioned in this publisher's weekly piece are Red, White, and Royal Blue, um, which is a, a male-male romance. I think New Adult, is that right? I haven't picked that one up yet. It's 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 new adulty, yeah. The um, Alex, who's the like he's not the narrator because it's not in first person, um, but he's the central character. Is is like in college and just out through the course of the story, so it's pretty new adult. Well, and Helen Wong's The Bride Test, which um, both Jasmine Guillory and Helen Wong were debut authors last year, mm-hmm. but aren't now. And actually. Um, this this Publishers Weekly piece says that the top sellers included Jasmine Guillory's Reese Book Club pick, which I think mm-hmm. they mean Reese Witherspoon Book Club pick, The Wedding Party, <laughs> which that's actually not the book by Guillory that was selected. So yeah. I think it's interesting to see that some of these authors who who broke out really big last year do have some staying power. The Anna Todd after film came out, which I wonder if that is part of why... Oh, uh, yeah, because, you know, they probably got all new covers, too. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, and this actually says uh, movie adaptations have played a role in sales. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, it'll be um, the one that I, I mean, there's a Mary Blau book on here called Someone to Honor, but there's also The Seekers by Heather Graham, which I have to admit, I have never read anything by Heather Graham, but I've heard great things. So same. Maybe it's time. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely one of those worth checking out. There's, I don't know if you are one of those people who walks into a Barnes and Noble and just kind of goes spine blind. Oh, yeah, that's an interesting, you mean like you kind of just don't notice like what, like who is where and what is uh, which, like you, you can only see sort of the front covers of books. Is that kind of what you mean? Kind of. It's like, I go, even like the romance section of my local Barnes and Noble is pretty, pretty well stocked. And I've found some things there, but I've found that I can't just go in and browse that section. I need to be looking for something. Otherwise, like I just stop reading the names of authors and the titles of books after maybe like letter C. And I, I hate that because that takes away from my ability to discover new things just by grabbing something that sounds interesting. But like, as we know, romance is prolific. And there are certain authors, especially those that have large uh, backlists, like where, um, let's see, who who are together? Oh, Susan Mallory and Debbie McComber are next to each other on the shelf. And I sort of just kind of like walk past that bank of books and move to the next thing. I know that it's it's taking away from my experience, sort of, but I'm also trying to do this thing where I don't, where I have a reason for going there and grabbing that thing and leaving because otherwise my eyes just cross and I can't even. I have to leave. Like if I if I want to go discover something, I I'm like overwhelmed and need to walk away. So I wonder if that for me at least is keeping me from picking up these authors that a lot of people really love because they have a lot of books when I just can't, I can't even like stand at the shelf where their books sit because the, the idea of picking one it is almost overwhelming, let alone actually like reading one. 
So yeah, I was actually in a uh, romance bookstore called The Tattered Cover in Denver, Colorado over the weekend, and their romance section was particularly robust for an indie bookstore. It was still much smaller than like the mystery or the, you know, um, crime or whatever, but you know, that's fine, whatever. They had one. It was very robust. It was great. So as I think I mentioned before, when I find an independent bookstore that does have a romance section, I do try to buy a book there. But this one was almost too good just because I had like read or had many of the books by the, you know, Alyssa Cole or um, I, there, Ruby Lang's Acute Reactions was there, which was amazing and super cool to see. And, you know, they were just uh, the new Alicia Rye was there. Um, Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors by Sonali Dev was there. So there just was a great, fantastic collection of books. But I was trying to figure out. And so then I was kind of there was that tier of authors that I know I love that I've read all their stuff. And so then I was starting to kind of do, I think what you were talking about, which is if, try to figure out how, like which, which, where to start and which author and what to pick up. And, you know, and actually um, I ended up with a book called Misadventures of a Curvy Girl by Sierra Simone, which I have not read anything by her. You're in for a treat. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. I've heard so many good things. Um, and this one's a menage. I think it, she tends to write erotic romance, if not full on erotica. So I will uh, read it and report back. Um, but yeah, it was that same kind of thing where I think the people who were sitting near that section of the bookstore looked at me standing there for like 20 minutes, not knowing where to like what to do. And you and I know romance. So like, it, you know, mm-hmm. who's to say, but anyway, and actually I missed by a day because I had plans with a, a close friend, um, and was driving a lot on Saturday, I missed Bookstore Romance Day. Um, oh, no. I know. And unfortunately, uh, Tattered Cover did not participate, but maybe next year. Um, and I was looking actually at the number of stores that I was going to kind of shout out some of the stores that participated, but I was looking at the list and it's it's huge. There's I, I will it's link huge. to it so that you can check and see, but there's this enormous list of books that participated. You Did you go? I did. Um, I missed the local author panel at um, my local indie bookstore, mostly books. Um, but I did go to a, a live recording of the Phoenix Nest podcast, which is a group of local uh, women who decided to get together and read a book and talk about it every episode. And it was delightful. Um, and I think they posted the episode recently. Um, and, um, also Phoenix Nest Jess and I are totally soulmates. Um, so I mean, Hey, you know, you gotta find your soulmate sometimes in a podcast. (laughs) She didn't know that yet, but if you're listening to this episode, Jess, you and I are soulmates. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's I mean, is it more than just the same name? Uh, Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Surprisingly enough. Okay. You are, I'm so glad you found your soulmate after all this time. After all this time, I better let my husband know. Yeah, you probably should. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so, and and Mostly Books was delightful. They had like a scavenger hunt and you got a prize if you completed it. And they're all just delightful people. They have, they sell both new and used books. So they have a romance room. And some other things have sort of infiltrated on in the 
like in the course of time because they just haven't had space for it elsewhere. But the entire outer wall of this room is um, used romance novels. And I'll tell you, I went in there one time because I had some trade to spend and I it might have been an hour. It took, like I was doing the same thing you were. It's like, what do I do? I don't know. <laughs> um, but they, you know, they were really excited about Bookstore Romance Day, and they'll probably um, continue to participate. Well, and I, I don't know if this was in the press release. It wasn't actually mentioned in the Publishers Weekly um, piece. But one of the things that has at least come up as in part a suggestion for some of why the Barnes Noble romance. Uh, sales have gone up is is actually the the change in covers that we've talked about to more of an illustrated style um and actually the three books that are mentioned here uh the wedding party by jasmine guillory red white and royal blue by casey mcquiston and helen wong's the bride test actually it, it is pointed out all featured diverse characters but also um are all have illustrated covers on them. So I don't know if that is, um, you know, impacting those people who go, you know, spine blind, as you referred to it. Um, or if it's just kind of a, you know, it could be a coincidence. We've talked a lot about the different kind of marketing, the change into um, trade paperbacks and the impact that that's had. Um, there was kind of some interesting discussion about uh, on Twitter about the cost of of you know trade paperbacks and how that might be impacting some romance readers um so there's kind of a lot going on there but i mean an increase in romance sales particularly a 30 percent jump um at barnes and noble is i think a good sign and a good reminder that these books do sell you know like these are there's money to be made independent bookstores that are not currently selling romance there's money <laughs> to be made there is money to be made. And like these, these books, you know, they, they have a pr higher price point. They're bigger. They're shinier. They're more eye catchy for somebody who like quickly turns away if there's a bare torso on a book. Um, they also pull people to the romance section for them to find other things. Yeah. That's a good point. And of course, you know, a lot of them, because Berkeley, let's let's admit it, is really great at marketing and the marketing machine. They are front and center if you walk down the center aisle of any Barnes and Noble. Um, but they're also good at placing them closer to where their other books are sold. Um, so you know, there's there's lots of elements that have probably gone into this huge increase. Um, but it's it's not just those books. It's it's people wanting to read things that make them happy and and a really easy way to do that is to pick up something that is promising you a happy ending mhm mm yeah and you know bright and colorful and intriguing is also not a bad thing because as much as we'd like to say we don't many of us still judge a book by its cover oh yeah oh yeah so anyway, good news all around. Uh, romance Bookstore Day or Bookstore Romance Day. Sorry, I always get that wrong. I do too, but I think we should have Romance Bookstore Day because every region should have at least one romance bookstore. A little at a time. We now have one what, in LA and Chicago. Yep. Who's next? Who is going? Is it going to be Tucson? Is the uh, next up Tucson, Arizona, Jess? <laughs> who's going to be my uh, angel investor for that? 
<laughs> go fund me. We're, uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> um, but anyway, so yeah, romance sales, whether it's, um, Barnes and Noble or, uh, indie bookstores, um, you know, across the board, anytime that, uh, romance is selling, especially, uh, inclusive romance, as we are seeing in some of these categories, then that's good news. All right. Why don't we do another ad spot and then we can move on to our next thoughtful topic of the day. TBR is Book Riot's new subscription service, not as new anymore, but it's still kind of new, offering tailored book recommendations, hence the TBR. Got it. We're very clever. For readers of all stripes. Have you been dreaming of a stitch fix for books? Because now it's here. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for, and just sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. You can visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. And Jess, I think you and I can both vouch for the fact that um, the bibliologists are brilliant and they work really, really hard. And if they are looking for something that's a little bit outside their box, sometimes they check with the rest of us at Book Riot. I think you and I both have recommended uh, romance titles for some folks who are looking for those. Um, but yeah, it's just a very fun, cool, you know, curated book option that, yeah. uh, you know, you. I think the lower, I could be wrong about this, so don't quote me, I didn't actually open the site, but I think the lower price option is like $15 a quarter or something. So I, you know, there's pretty good, uh, pretty good investment to make in your reading life. Yeah, it's totally a good investment. I can tell you from experience that the, the bibliologists really, really enjoy what they do. And you get like a really individualized thing every quarter that you do it. I actually used to do TBR and had to step away because I realized that I needed to sleep. Oh, um, sure. Yeah. But- <laughs> That'll happen. <laughs> but the the folks that are still doing it and the ones that have joined since I left are really great. And like Trisha said, you know, they know their stuff. But when they know that they don't know, they ask the rest of us who also know our stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a really good investment. And but I will tell you, if you want romance recommendations, please don't select the hardcover choice. Just help help your TBR bibliologists out and ask for, like, really not romance things if you do that. Yeah. Well, and it'll, um, it'll save you money because it's, you know, like, it's a great it, – the getting ebook rec- – or getting just sort of emailed recommendations is a really great mm-hmm. option and way to kind of – to go. So, yeah, I think um, – anyway, it's a lot of fun. We would recommend it. A lot of folks have given it as gifts, too, so that's cool, too. Yeah, and we're coming upon the the gift-giving... Well, we've missed one of the gift-giving holidays, but we're coming upon (laughs) more gift-giving holidays. Do you Um, mean Halloween? Are we talking about Halloween now? (laughs) I mean, yes. I believe in in giving gifts on Halloween, mostly made of chocolate, but you know. (laughs) I think that you only think that gift-giving season um, starts in August because you write about romance and all of the romance arcs for Christmas and the holiday season are coming out either now, or actually they're coming out now, they're late. Yeah, yeah, they start in July. July. (laughs) Yes. 
They started in July. Uh-huh. So it, it was literally Christmas in July for anyone who gets ARCs or ERCs. Yeah. But the actual books are going to start hitting bookstores in like September. So mm-hmm. I don't know. A month from now, maybe we'll be doing a holiday romance themed show for all of the new releases. We'll see. And they won't only be the winter holidays because guess what? There's one that's coming out. That's a Thanksgiving book. And I'm so excited. Oh, that's so delightful. <laughs> We'll have to we'll have to talk about it on the show, but not maybe not in September because we have a different book we're talking about in September. Yes, we do. Um, we will be discussing the Ladies' Guide to Celestial Mechanics in September as part of the Great Big Romance Read, and we sort of alluded to this, I think maybe in our last episode, Jess. But the fact that this was selected as Rift Bodice's Great Big Romance Read book mm-hmm. meant that they ran a little short on copies. Yes, they did. And we were like, I, I was trying to get down to the bottom of, um, like, if, cause what I assumed was that it was a print run, which it was. And then somebody was like, no, it's print on demand because it came out in ebook. But I think, I think it actually was like a run that Avon decided upon. And then when they ran out, they ran another one. Um, I might have gotten one of the books in the second printing because one of the books that I bought at um, Mostly Books on Saturday was actually the print copy of The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics because I was so yeah, excited to hey, see it so in print. so it's still out there. That's awesome. <laughs> it's still out there. It was kind of like, oh my god, it exists. Well, yeah, and I think it's a little bit... So there have been some, there's been some criticism because this is a... Uh, female female romance which mm-hmm. you know queer romance is not always as supported by the romance industry as it could be however i think this is again this is sort of one of those more than one thing can be true situations so this book um which is by olivia wait i don't know that we mentioned that um but probably not yeah so you know credit where it's due um it's an avon impulse book which we've talked about avon as a publisher avon impulse is a ebook focused publishing line. So it seems as though Avon would have likely, and I don't know a lot about publishing, so this is, you know, take all of this with a grain of salt. It seems like Avon would have, you know, signed the contracts, made the deals, kind of made their plans for Ladies Guide to Celestial Mechanics based on the fact that they wouldn't necessarily be doing a lot of print copies mm-hmm. and actually there's an Esisuga, um who is a senior editor at kensington um but who previously i think worked for either avon or avon impulse maybe both maybe someone related um but she had a twitter thread um and this is you know and she she knows her stuff she's um i believe still Alyssa cole's editor i know that she has had a lot of impact and influence on many of the books that we've talked about i've you know Mm -hmm. i think you and i both have a tremendous amount of respect for her but um you know she had a twitter thread that we will um link to where she was kind of talking about um how the format actually does matter if you're doing a digital first or ebook first imprint uh it can be hard to get that off the ground so you know i think there are a lot of factors at play here um that are not necessarily just involved just involving um non-inclusion um and absolutely all of publishing should be doing a better job of being inclusive and 
you know, promoting inclusive books and all of that is absolutely also true. But I think, you know, you have to also be realistic about the fact that publishing is a business. And if they were to print, you know, 50,000 copies of a book and it doesn't sell, then they're kind of losing out. And I have to tell you, of all of the indie bookstores that I have been to that do carry romance, one of the titles that I have seen most often, this is, I think, kind of notable and absolutely true, is Once Ghosted, Twice Shy, which is mm-hmm. also a female-female uh, romance by an author of color and featuring characters of color. And so I think I'm kind of willing to give Avon at least a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because they obviously have done some of the pushing, you know, on some of these books. And that's a novella. And it's, I don't know, they nobody has to do anything, even if they should do it. And so, you know, you know, like I said, I think more than one thing could be true here. Yeah, you just reminded me, I also bought that on Saturday, because I have it and I have it digitally. Um, but I'm working on having the full Reluctant Royals collection. <laughs> so I, just, I, I, I bought Very Gay this weekend. I'm very Aww, proud of myself. That's so, good. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and like I said, I mean, I have seen that book probably as frequently as I have seen anything else in independent bookstores, like any other romance title. Well, it has a catchy cover. It's a beautiful cover. It's beautiful and it's attractive and there are attractive people on it. And it's like, what is this? And it's a great, it's a great entry point into romance because it's only like 140 pages, if that. Yeah. So, hey, enjoy everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I don't know. I think it's, like I said, I, I can understand people being frustrated and feeling as though more books or different kinds of books should be printed for everyone all across the world. But I think there is, and we've also made the case that it's good business to print and distribute inclusive and diverse books. Um, Yes. But I think this one, because it was digital first and because probably the people at Avon Impulse did not know that it was going to be the focus of a nationwide uh, book club read. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, I think maybe it's, maybe I should not be giving them the benefit of the doubt. You know, who knows? Um, I don't know what went into any of those decisions, but it seems sometimes we have to have a conversation where we're like, I cannot see why a person would have made this terrible decision to do X, Y, or Z. This doesn't feel like that to me. Yeah. And you know, like we don't, I know that, they realized, I think with the release of Once Ghosted, Twice Shy, like they weren't originally going to release it in print. And then there was a little bit of a nudge and then they did. And I think thankfully with that, they realized that there was a market for their, their novellas. And then, so they, uh, the fact that they even released this one in print, I was really happy to see. I was sort of afraid it wasn't going to happen when they first announced it. And I, I think they hadn't even announced a release date for print when they, when the cover, um, was, was, um, revealed. So I'm glad that there was a first run and I'm glad that they realized that instead of holding off, for those dates where I remember going on Amazon at some point and seeing that like you could order it in print, but it wouldn't get there till the end of September. And this was a month and a half ago. Um, 
that that things are changing. And even if you might not be able to get it through Amazon's warehouse, Baker and Taylor and Ingram seem to have it. So, so, and they're the ones who are, those are two companies. If you are not in the know, um, who distribute books to libraries and booksellers, um, two of the other two, of two of the bigger ones. There are other companies that also distribute to libraries and booksellers. Sellers. I'm going on Amazon to see if I can figure out whether it is currently available. So let me see. Yeah, it looks like you can get it. It's in stock September 2nd. So theoretically, you could have it by the beginning of the month. So, you know, or not by the, you know, probably within the first week of the month. So, I mean, I guess the long and short of it is this kind of demand does make a difference. So it does. if you are thinking about and looking at where is the good news in this story, um, I think probably there's a real good chance that the follow-up title, which I know you, having read this book, have some ideas about what the follow-up title should be and who it should feature, uh, (laughs) probably will get more print run, you know, than the first one did and probably will be more available. And maybe this is a sign to publishers that if they put out, you know, reasonably priced uh, queer romance for people, there's a real market for it. So I mean, like I said, I, I can understand the disappointment and I, I, you know, as a cishet woman, you know, I, I don't want to pretend, I don't want to minimize that in any way. Mm-hmm. But also, I think there is some good news here and that's, you know, that's cool either way. Yeah. And as we saw in that, that Publishers Weekly article from a, a few days ago, I want to say, um, this sales for Avon, just like shot up in part because of this book. And, you know, we have to take into account that Avon publishes all like so many of the greats, like, you know, Avon publishes Sarah McLean, Avon publishes Beverly Jenkins, Avon publishes Alyssa Cole, like, so, (laughs) um, and you know, the right swipe came out recently and fix her up came out recently, both of which are being sold in trade paperback with, um, co- um, cartoon covers, um, in a, at a higher price point. So, you know, there are other things contributing to Avon sales just being really high right now. Um, but part of it is definitely in part because of this book being part of a national campaign to read romance. Mm-hmm. And Azizaga, who we mentioned before, also had a really good and interesting thread about illustrated covers, which you had just mentioned. And um, it may have been in part response to a, a piece that Kelly Jenkins put out in uh, about the illustrated covers trend in romance um, and kind of pushing back on some of those pieces. Um, and I think you and I don't, I don't want to speak for you. I, sh- I will say I am not a hundred percent sure I'm a- in agreement with, with Kelly's um, assessment of the way that illustrated covers uh, reflect women's interests. Um, but, you know, both her piece and uh, some of the other reflections on illustrated covers that are out there are worth reading and thinking about. So we will get that stuff linked to in the show notes so that you can tell us for yourselves what you think. Yeah, I, I look forward to hearing what other other people have to say. I, I can see some of her points with um, price points and all of that. But the beginning thesis, I think, isn't something that I completely agree with. So I look forward to discussing it with um, some of our listeners. 
And as discussed, this is this was always going to be our thoughtful, reflective episode, Jess. So look yeah. how we, we are delivering as promised. And one of the last things that, that we wanted to just kind of discuss briefly, or not briefly, knowing us, who's to say? Uh, is, <laughs> I've been thinking a lot because even more than in previous months, I've been on the road a lot, a lot in the last few weeks. And I've been thinking a lot about kind of geography and how um, – Geography can impact a specific title or author or setting. Um, so I will use as an example of kind of talking through this. Uh, Robin Carr, who I mentioned earlier, has a series of books. Uh, it starts with the book Virgin River, which is being made into a television show, I think, for Netflix, for some streaming service. We're very interested to see how that goes. Uh, but it is set in a very small town, like 600 people in Northern California. And having driven through there in the last couple of days, um, I was thinking about how the setting for that book is super important because there are throughout the series, um, there are forest fires. There's a lot of discussion of uh, growing marijuana, which was not legal at the time that Virgin River came out uh, in any state. So that makes for kind of a, a different setting. It is a small town kind of a book, which um, there's some discussion about whether small town settings are appealing to all kinds of readers because they're not always as safe. I don't, it seems, you know, for, they don't feel as safe for a lot of different kinds of readers. So I'm not necessarily, I will say uh, that series, the Virgin River series is one of the first series that I kind of came upon as a romance reader. And so I have read, I don't know. There's probably like 20 books in that series. I've read like the first five or six. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something that kind of appeals to me about them. They're Western sort of set books, which I grew up out West. And so that's, you know, appealing to me. They're a small town. I grew up in a small-ish town, not nearly a, that small. But like, so I, you know, I think there are some interesting things about them. But in, for the purposes of this conversation, they could not really exist in, you know, metropolitan Chicago, for example, right? Like there are some books that you can pick up and move and it doesn't really matter as long as they're in a city or a town or whatever. And those books are very firmly set in that place. So we were going to talk a little bit about some books that, um, like I said, the Virgin River series is probably not for everyone. Um, if you are interested in more trying to figure out if it's for you, send me a note and I will let you know a little bit more about it. Um, but there are some other books that are kind of recent releases or older releases that the setting really does matter. Do you have thoughts? Yeah, I mean, because, you know, sometimes there are books that take place in a city, and they could be in any city in the world. And it doesn't like, you, you might not even know where they take place until somebody mentions the form of public transit that one of the characters takes. And it's like, oh, they're in Chicago. Or maybe there isn't any public transit. And it's like, oh, they're in LA. <laughs> um, so it's a little big city humor for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, like, then, then there are books, because so many books take place in New York. And there might be things that require them to take place in New York, like Holly Trent's newest book, um, Three Part Harmony, is mostly set in New York. And two of the main characters work in publishing. And the third main character is a uh, reluctant rock star and they you know they all have things that have to happen in this city and you know things where 
you know, you might be able to move it to a different city because people run own jewelry stores or run their family business or are an actor who could live anywhere because they're not currently working. Um, you know, those those don't have to be in the middle of New York City, but then there are those books that, you know, they sort of feel the city. You can, the city's integral to the work that people do or the story that's being told, or it's, it like evokes the character of the city. Like, um, the last great big romance read, Pride by E.B. Zaboy. Oh, yeah. Um, that one was really like, you couldn't that couldn't take place anywhere else that's a really good point that really had to take place where it was um and you know like i'm i i read a lot of books set in new york so <laughs> um but i was also thinking about the bare knuckle bastards books like the underground of new of london is is really important to how that story is told and it couldn't take place um, it couldn't take place in New York, honestly. It would have to, it, they like that that particular geography is so integral to both stories that exist right now in Wicked in the Wallflower and Brazen in the Beast. Um, and there's just something about the element of that particular space that they they couldn't be anywhere else. Yeah, and that one was actually on my list too because it's. It's not even just that it's London, because I will be honest, I don't know anything about London, let alone like <laughs> 1800s London. It may shock you. I have been to London, but I have not been to 1800s London. Uh, How dare. I know. I know. <laughs> Try to contain yourself. Uh, but this, like, you get such a vivid picture of Covent Garden, Covent Garden. I don't even know how it's pronounced because I've never been to 1800s London. Um <laughs> It, it, but it really does matter, right? That that neighborhood, um, where, you know, in Brazen the Beast, which is the newer book where, um, you know, Henrietta and Wit are sort of, well, Hattie is, she tends to go by Hattie, are kind of like, she is from the sort of upper crust of society. Her family owns a shipping company and Wit and his brother, uh, who is, uh, wicked in the first, uh, book in the series, they essentially are the two, essentially like crime lords who run the underground of London. And it, you know, I was thinking about it in the context of, you know, Courtney Milan or Tessa Dare, um, who also have books that are set in London. And you don't really need to know anything about that London. You just need to like, you can just picture scenes from Pride and Prejudice and like it all sort of falls together. But you're right. I, I 100% agree with you that the neighborhood for um, the Bare Knuckle Bastards books is super super important and i think sarah mclean may have even done like a map of the london of this series um if i can find it i'll link to it but oh that'd be awesome yeah it's it's super unique um and one of the other books that made me think of even kind of discussing this topic is a new book by elise springer called world turned upside down which takes place in antarctica oh yeah (laughs) which is and I will confess, I've only just started this book. I'm not very far into it at all. But it's, you know, um, Simon, uh, who is sort of a custodial worker, a janitor, uh, who works at the, I don't even know, like the station. In the, uh, <laughs> it's the McMurdo station in Antarctica. There's only like 150 people there. And it's winter for them, which is for us summer. So the book starts in May. And that, like, there's a line in it that says the sun had gone down in April and would not go up again until August. 
Because, oh my gosh. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's this small, very, very contained group of people. It's you're in the dark all the time. And, you know, he sort of has this crush on hot new researcher Asher, uh, who is, you know, studying the Aurora, which is cool, except like, you know, Simon kind of there's so there's like a little bit of a class situation there. There's a little bit of a small town element there, because even though it's not a town, it's a station. There's only 150 people. Everybody knows everybody else's business. And yeah, so it's, it's, I don't know, so far, it's really good. I have always been a huge fan of Elise Springer. But it's, again, very much the kind of book that you can't replicate those conditions anywhere else. It's, it really matters that it's in Antarctica. Oh, and again, that's World Turned Upside Down by Elise Springer. I am totally going to have to check out that book. I have never read a book set in Antarctica, first of all. And just the whole concept of like, it's dark all the time without without it being like the abyss. <laughs> I, I, I need some more like really horrific um, elements, but in a romance novel. Like I know that this particular novel is not horror because you would have said so. Um, mm-hmm. But just like the thought of not seeing the sun frightens me, even <laughs> if it's perfectly fine. See, and I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, so to me, it's like, well, that sounds about right. That's the way it goes. Yeah, I know. Below the Mason-Dixon line, <laughs> all the time, all the way. Um, so, Well, and actually, Elise did spend, um, I think she said, on and off for three years, she spent time in Antarctica. So she, she knows, I mean, of course, she could have done the research anyway and know what she was talking about, but... So that I don't know it yeah I'm I so far it's it's great she does such a good job of character development and um I'm excited to get further into it. I'm excited to check it out. Yeah. Uh and the only other author I was going to mention because I thought about books and then I decided actually I don't know I I will mention one or two books but Beverly Jenkins books are mm-hmm. so set in wherever they are. Um I was thinking of Indigo um because Hester who is one of the protagonists of that book um, is actually in Michigan as part of the Underground Railroad. And uh, the Black Daniel, who who is the other protagonist in the book, ends up there and, and she sort of helps him. And then we've talked a little bit about this book before. It's 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 quite old at this point. It's uh, for, for a romance. It's 20 or 30 years old. And um, it's, it, for me, the setting was really impactful because when I would think of that time of, you know, pre-Civil War era in the United States, I didn't really think of Michigan, right? Which I should have. That's that's my own short sight, you know, shortcoming um, or, you know, inability to kind of, I don't know, have done my own research or education. But, you know, you don't necessarily think of who was in Michigan and what they were doing. But of course, the Underground Railroad, which was generally leading people north and off into Canada, you would need someone who was that far north. So anyway, it's that book. Absolutely. The setting is really important. Yeah, I just finished listening to Rebel, which is oh, yeah. set the, like kind of the complete opposite book. It's set right after the Civil War. It takes place in New Orleans, like the, the opposite end of the of the railroad. Um, but it, you know, it focuses on the Jean de Coulourly kind of community um, and a New Yorker coming into that community and dealing with all of that. And that definitely couldn't couldn't be anywhere else. Um, because yeah. the New Orleans black community is such a different animal in that in that period of time. Um, so yeah, that she's a really good example, and all of her books 
really have that kind of essential setting. They couldn't take place anywhere else. Yeah. Well, and uh, you know, unlike Elise Springer, who did spend some time in Antarctica, probably Beverly Jenkins, although she is wildly gifted. So I would not, you know, doubt her ability (laughs) to go back to the 1850s Michigan or the 1860s uh, New Orleans. She, she just like researches the hell out of everything she does. And God, um, she does. And you can read it in her book and it's so, she's just lovely and wonderful. So yeah, I don't know. Were there any other titles that you wanted to make sure that you got out there for geographic purposes or are we, are we done? I think I think we're actually done because I I think I got my points across um whether in modern day New York or old school New Orleans or London or anywhere else like mm-hmm. those were the ones that I were really thinking about um because I went through some of my like the the books that I've read set in small towns like for instance I I okay so we're going to keep go- keep going with this conversation <laughs> um I read one just last weekend by Christina C. Jones. Um, it's called I Think I Might Love You. Um, and it's set in a made up small city. It's like a college town, but it's kind of designed to be like any town in USA. And a lot of the books that I've read that are set in places that aren't cornerstones of the United States, New Orleans, Chicago, San Francisco, LA, New York, seem to be any town USA kind of places. And that might be because I haven't lived in a lot of places smaller than Tucson. Um, but they just, they have, they have this feeling where like you could pick it up and put it somewhere. And as long as you understood kind of like what that region was like, you know, is it desert? Is it, does it snow? Like, is it sunny? That kind of thing. Then you could sort of place your own idea of where it is on it. Yeah. And I do think I will just say this and then we can also wrap up. I think that there's, <laughs> there are authors like Julie James sets many, if not all of her, not all, many, many of her books in Chicago. Or Kristen Ashley sets many, many of her books in Denver. And I think if you are a person who knows those cities and who's reading those books, you kind of get some of the kind of references and Easter eggs and there's something interesting for you in that. Um, but if you're not a person who know those, knows those cities, it's kind of like you were saying, it, it could kind of double for anywhere. Um, the only other thing I will mention is that when you were talking about sort of like middle-sized cities or whatever. When I was in Milwaukee and asked folks for recommendations, um, multiple people told me that I had to read The Coincidence of Coconut Cake by Amy E. Reichert. And I hope you did. And I did. (laughs) And they were 100% right because it is very much set in Milwaukee, very referential to the food scene in Milwaukee. You know, that takes place there. There's a lot of reference to cream puffs and cheese curds and all of these things that then I was a custard uh, that I was able to then kind of find and enjoy there. Um, I gained probably 10 pounds in Milwaukee, but you know what? Worth it. Not a big deal. Honestly, the love story was secondary in that book. It was all about the food. It was <laughs> all about the food, but I was more charmed by the love story than some people. Um, there is a sort of a very big deal enemies to lovers situation in which the uh, heroine Lou is a chef and the hero is a food critic who has given her a terrible review but she doesn't know that it was him and so it's kind of a you got mail style situation where then he eventually figures it out and doesn't know what to do and anyway Mm -hmm. 
It's really great. The coincidence of coconut cake, yeah, is worth checking out. I was being glib about the love story being secondary. <laughs> no, it's fair. <laughs> but it's such a love story to Milwaukee and the food, too. Like, so. It absolutely is. Yeah. And I read this book when it came out, and I, it's not 10 years old, but it's pretty close. Mm-hmm. So I still remember the descriptions of the food. Oh, yeah. But that's another story completely. Let's move on with our night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, um, yeah, you don't read it hungry is the, is the take home. Uh, all right. Well, as always, we have, um, probably bored you all to death by now. So, um, do let us know, uh, what you think about book sales or book covers or printings of books and how it gets done. Any, any of our thoughtful topics, let us know what your favorite, uh, books that could not exist anywhere else are. We can shout those out on our next episode. Um, and speaking of our next episode, Jess, I think we kind of said uh, that maybe we would start our conversation um, not actually getting too far into Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics, but if there are sort of some things that we're thinking about or that, that you all want us to think about related to that book, um, we'll be doing our full discussion on our episode that drops the 23rd, but on our episode that drops September 9th, we might, you know, start putting some questions out there. So feel free to send those to us as well. Absolutely. And where will people, you, well, as always, you can, you can find both of us on the one in Romans at, uh, is it epicriot.com? Yes. Okay. Yes. I never, our first ones are at Riot New Media. So I always get confused. Uh, <laughs> or where else can people find you, Jess? You can find me on Twitter at Jess is reading all one word, or on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading. And I am at Trisha Haley Brown on both. And I promise to start doing a better job of Twitter <laughs> over the next few weeks. I will uh, have a little bit more downtime than I've had uh, over the last. Well, you months, can't so. tweet from the car. So, you know, it's true. It would not be safe. It just wouldn't be safe. So no, we like you alive. I know. Actually, uh, there are a couple of pictures that I took while stopped in traffic that I was going to put on Instagram, and I was like, nope, people are going to think. Well, and I was like, actually not even stopped for traffic. It was stopped for construction. So, like, I knew I was going to be <laughs> sitting for 10 minutes. So, which is why I felt okay taking a picture. But I was like, I can't put that on Instagram. People are going to think that I'm, like, driving and just, like, Instagramming stuff. Very unsafe. Anyway. Yeah. Don't do that. Do let us know what you're thinking about whatever romance topic you like. Uh, and in the meantime... Happy end of August, everybody. Happy end of August and happy reading. Happy reading. <laughs>